0: Hey, everybody, my name is Matt Pierce. I'm the learning and video ambassador for TechSmith Corporation. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great guest today. We're going to be talking about teaching and educating with resilience because We all know times are crazy, things are rough, but there are things that you can be thinking about to help make your education even better. And before we get to our guest today, uh, of course, we always like to just talk about the TechSmith Academy because it is something out there that is for you guys. It is a free learning platform. You can go learn about creating screencasts. You can go learn about writing scripts. Creating storyboards. We have interviews with people who are in the training field and they give their advice and their wisdom about using things like images, working with subject matter experts, and so much more. So go check that out. It's at academy.techsmith.com. You can find the link there. There's a bit.ly. Just follow it, you'll get there. And it's got some awesome, awesome stuff. Of course, again, all free for the picking. So go, go watch that, go check out the things that you need to. Well, today, as we get going here, I want to just say that we're always grateful for our guests to join us. Especially grateful uh, for Crystal D. Jager, who is our guest. She's been so busy teaching and working <sighs> with uh, her university. And of course it's, it's stressful times, but we're grateful that she's going to be joining us. And we're going to talk about educating with resilience. Crystal, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. So glad that you could be here.
1: Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me on your program.
0: Yeah, you bet. Uh, so for those who haven't had a chance to to meet you or have a chance to learn about you, tell could you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and your, your background? Because I know you've got a, a really great strong background with uh, education and instructional technology, things like that.
1: Sure. So, uh, my name is Crystal DeJager. Uh, like Matt said, uh, these days I work in information technology at a prominent Catholic institution of higher education. Um, I am staff currently. I do teach a small discussion seminar for first-year students. Um, outside of that, I've taught, I also teach elementary statistics for Purdue University's local campus. Um, I've taught middle school, high school, undergraduates and graduates, pre-service teachers, teachers. Um, I've just been involved in education in a lot of different ways. Um, And once upon a time, I did some training for Anheuser-Busch as well. So like many folks, I'm probably tuning in right now. I've had to abruptly pivot, as we say, um, and figure out how to effectively shift my approach and move forward uh, last spring and now on into the fall. So that's kind of my background. I have a K-12 background. I have some time in higher ed where I've done instructional design work. And now I'm in the IT slash support service side of things.
0: So I would imagine with all of that background is probably very useful right now because of the way that education is just kind of there's lots of uncertainty, a lot of unknown that it brings you some flexibility.
1: Yeah, it definitely makes me feel like my PhD in instructional technology is uh, you've been been well used,
0: <laughs> I should say. So yes, for sure. Yeah. So so um, you know, with all the the things that are happening in education, the kind of the, the fluctuations, you know. Uh, I'm guessing faculty in particular, like they're trying to gear up for one thing, but it might change instantaneously or, you know, within a few days of even getting started. Um, what do you think some of the bigger challenges that you're seeing, uh, educational institutions are facing right now?
1: Well, you know, it's really hard. Um, we started out in person, uh, with the idea that we were asking people to plan for the option of, you know, what if, these other, these contingency plans for, we you know, what if happened, what if it happens that we have to go a hundred percent online, which we are now doing for two weeks? Um, you know, and just, just having that flexibility is easier said than done. Right. So a lot of that challenge is, um, people are, are reaching a point, I believe where it's very much change fatigue, right? People want to just go in and do their everyday roles, what they're used to doing their teaching and learning myself included, um, outside of this, this, uh, unprecedented state of affairs. But I kind of feel like You know, educators by and large, this is uh, admittedly a generalization of sorts, but, um, you know, they all have expertise and they want to share with others uh, when they engage in teaching and learning. And so the really cool thing is that once you can get past seeing technology as simply a hurdle and realize that technology is a way that you can help facilitate some of these interactions and things that you didn't even know were possible, uh, perhaps, um, I think that there are opportunities there for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting because, you you know, like I, I've seen this, um, you know, when I was in in graduate school, I've seen it with my kids, teachers. I, I, I kind of see that what well, you mentioned, that technology is a hurdle, right? I, even in my own family, I see people come up against this. I mean, that's a big, that's a real thing, right? Like we're not all, we don't all feel super tech savvy. Not everyone feels comfortable with like what we're doing right now or getting into their LMS. How, how do you help someone, especially an educator who really just wants to focus on their expertise, how do you help them through that? Because my guess is you can't just say, well, just do it. It worked. Just get on Zoom or get on GoTo or whatever, because yeah. that just doesn't work.
1: Yeah. as so I think for me, I have to take off my tech hat for a minute and remember what it was like to be a novice. And sometimes that's really hard. Um, and not that I would claim to be the expert of all things. I'm certainly not that either. But just taking a step back and remembering that, you know, for some people, this is very new and it's not an age thing. It's very much like it just depends on the person and trying to get them to keep it simple, right? You don't have to do everything all at the same time. Yes, there are lots of tools out there. There are lots of free things that you can do. There are lots of um, technology packages that integrate with each other. But you don't have to do it all, and it's okay to not do it all. You have to find maybe the one, two handful of things that work for you. And sort of move that down the road, and so we try to try to reduce the focus there because it can be very overwhelming to just walk into this space and not know what to choose or what to do. So trying to get a sense of what people are trying to accomplish, um, you know, just generally, like if I'm talking to a faculty member who wants to do small group discussion work, or they, you know, they typically do their test in a certain way, I might talk to them about that first before providing some recommendations on what they would want to use. So, but just trying to keep it simple.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I love that as advice, right? Because it it seems like, I mean, and maybe it's because I work in technology and I, I see all the different things, but it feels like there is so many options and, and it can be overwhelming to know that like, oh my gosh, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. And you're probably, I would imagine, and tell me what you're seeing is I would imagine there's a lot of people out there saying, well, no, online education should look like x it should be these all these things you should have i don't know if they have a number of interactions that you're supposed to have or you know like module kind of crazy things but it seems like that's maybe future state um so how do you like how do you help someone keep it simple without getting that kind of overwhelmed state of like too many options right
1: yeah so I feel like you know in terms of online learning it's not as formulaic so there's a couple of things that I would I would say as an as a response which be it's, it's not necessarily formulaic but it is important to keep the user experience or what your students are seeing consistent um so you know one week you might be using Zoom and then next week you're trying Google Meet that's probably not the best approach right we want to try to Simplify the experience for students in a way that they they also come to know what to expect from your instruction. So I would suggest that sort of moving around like that or thinking you have to adhere to a formula is not necessarily um, the approach to take. Um, I you know I I thought about this a lot because um, there are a lot of people, especially after the emergency response to teaching, talking about how you know, online learning is not as effective and all of these things. Um, there's actually a, a really large body of research with uh, media studies or media comparisons showing that there is no significant, statistically significant difference in learning outcomes between online and face-to-face instruction. Um, and really what it boils down to is it's how you design what you're doing. So I think it's just begging the question of like, why are you doing what you're doing? Is what you're doing necessary? Let's rethink that. And I think this is a great opportunity. The pandemic is a great opportunity for educators everywhere to rethink what is really essential.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and, and I realize you're not an expert in all things, but I'm curious about your opinions about like, when it comes to, uh, like, you know, you talked about design, right? Like we got to design, you got to. It's not less effective. It's just, it's probably equal effectiveness, but based on your design. So are there elements that you could say are like usually a good idea for design or things that educators should be doing that would help them to make sure that their students are being, being effective?
1: Yeah, so I think um, in K twelve, this won't be any um, any uh, unique thing to say, but you know, objectives and you know goals and objectives that you that are set out for you in terms of like state based standards or whatever standards. Uh, situation you might be following in K-12 wherever you are, um, that's a good place to start. And then you start thinking about the action of how do you achieve those or how do you know that your students have accomplished objective X once they've gotten there. In higher ed, this is less common, I find, um, across ac- across the whole spectrum, at least in my experience, um, because faculty in higher ed aren't necessarily... Uh, they're not necessarily driven by standards in the same way. That's not to say they mm-hmm. don't have standards. It's just saying that it's just it's viewed differently. There are no, I mean, it's just different. It's a different approach. So trying right. to step back and take a take a good look at why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it because you want someone to understand a concept? Great. How do you measure understanding? How do you know that that's happened? So you know, trying to think through some of those those design. Pieces. So while I can certainly concur that the physical connections are diminished because we're not necessarily in person, we don't have the advantage as instructors of reading um, one's, you know, body language or physical cues in the same way. They don't come across the same way in, in Zoom or Google Meet or whatever video conferencing tool you might be using. Um, it, it's just uh, what I would say is like, you know, I have an example Um, In in many of these video conferencing tools, you know, a lot of people like to do small groups. You can usually use breakouts. I'm speaking specifically to Zoom because that's what I'm most familiar with. Um, You can use breakouts for paired or small group work if that's something that you're interested in. But, um, you know, like in an in-person situation, you might be able to, you know, just simply split up your class in groups of four, have them talk about three or five questions that you've put on the board or that you've shared with them in a handout, um, planting some seed questions and then letting them go. Right. In Zoom, it's not as simple as opening the breakout room and just letting them go. I mean, certainly you can do that, but you're likely to not get the best result if you don't structure that accordingly. So some of that requires a little bit more structured thinking and how you would go about executing that activity.
0: Yeah. I mean, that seems to make a lot of sense, right? It's, it's probably there's some semblance of there's some more prep uh, in terms of getting those interactions right. Whereas when you are face to face. I mean, I'm trying to phrase this so I make it make sense, but like, it seems like you've probably learned what that those good interactions look like. The right body language is kind of like when people are engaged over time. And so it's like now for a lot of, I'm guessing faculty and educators, it's second nature when you're in with a group of students, but we don't understand that yet. Right. With the zoom call, because frankly, maybe you don't even see your, your, participants. Uh, I know my my oldest is just, he's a freshman in university this year and he's been doing all online stuff since, um, you know, since over the summer he really started. And it's it's been really interesting to hear his experiences with like Zoom groups, you know, getting in the breakout rooms and, you know, how, how well or not so well those go based yeah. on what the instruction they're given. So that's really interesting. I like, again, the idea, take some time, really structure out what you want to have happen. It seems like you almost have to be a little bit more, uh, maybe prescriptive and saying, this is what I really want to occur. And here's how you're going to facilitate that versus saying like, Oh, just get in a room and talk. Cause that, that probably never works well, even face to face. Yeah.
1: And well, and I think in higher ed, that would be, I, I don't know, again, I'm speaking from my own experience, but in higher ed, I've seen where people are very used to that operating that way and that's okay. And that's largely been how, how people have, have taught, and have approached things because they've done it, for it, particularly for those who have done it for years, right? They know the content well enough, they can go in and they can just give a lecture or they can do any number of things and it's just like second nature to them. But you bring it in an online environment and then it's like, well, wait, how do I do this? I normally do these five things, but how do I translate that? And the other thing I, I want people to remember is online learning is not intended to be necessarily the transplantation of the exact same thing that you're doing in the face to face in the exact way to a digital environment, right? So it does require some different thinking about how you would do things. It does require a different approach pedagogically perhaps than than you may have been doing before. So those things are really important to help, um, help your students learn. And, uh, is it challenging? Yes. Is it something that everyone has time for? Probably not, but it's also not something you have to be perfect at. Right. Small chunks. Incremental change is, is I would say, just as much of a win in many cases than, than trying to just flip the switch all at once, which is unrealistic.
0: Right. So I'm curious. We've been talking a lot about the kind of the synchronous uh, education, you know, whether it's zoom or Google or whatever tool you're using, where you're actually able to interact in real time with your students. Um, even if that's, you know, it's a diminished capacity, than maybe what you can do in a classroom. How do you think the pedagogy or the kind of design structures that you're taking are affected if it is more asynchronous, where if you're using maybe like video or text or whatever other mediums that might lend itself to the asynchronous communication versus like that real still that real time we're not in a physical space but we're in a virtual space together
1: yeah. So coming from my instructional design background, I would suggest still that there's a, a fair amount of planning that you want to make for some of those things, depending on the nature of the content, right? So if you're creating a, a video that is going to be evergreen that you plan on using again, you know, time after time, class after class, if and if and when the situation presents itself, um, then that obviously might require a little more planning. Um, but I would suggest also that we know from um, literature and scholarship and teaching, and learning that the quality of the video, like you don't have to make a Martin Scorsese production for people to learn um, from your materials, right? It's okay to be authentic and to be human. And I think for a lot of our students, it's good for them to see that, right? So it's not always the sage on the stage metaphor of like, you have to be the all-knowing person about this particular subject area. It's okay to have some vulnerability. It's okay to be a person, um, so your, your videos and recordings don't necessarily have to be perfect. Now I know there are plenty of educators who are perfectionists, myself included. So I don't always abide by the advice that I give <laughs> um, and it's a little easier said than done, but it is important to know that, that, um, you know, something that's well thought out and, and planned through is, is going to be just as good. Um, asynchronously, I think the challenge is depending on what your method of delivery ends up being, if it's, if it's all asynchronous, that's one thing. Cause then you can just plan sequentially, how these are going to go together. If you have asynchronous and synchronous blended together, you have to think about how each of these components feeds into the other. For example, if you have five videos online that you want students to watch, but then they're also meeting with you um, in a live session, then you need to figure out how does what I'm doing in the live session actually connect to those materials that I would like students to engage with. Because if they're missing that connection, like most other human beings, they're going to work smarter, not harder, and learn very quickly that they don't need to use that material that you spend a lot of time creating. So, bridging that gap is really critical in those cases.
0: Yeah, no, that not, makes
1: that answers your question, but I'm just. Yeah.
0: I think, no, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? That you've got, you've got to, you still got to think through the design. You got to think through the approach, but it can't just be like random scattershot of like, I'm going to make a video. I'm going to make a video. I'm going to make a video. You want the thread of thought to go through that so that you're like, I think as students, I would imagine, and I I have been a student, but it's been a while. uh, But you know, I want to see that continuity. I want to see the, uh, like that my professor has thought through like that this makes yeah. sense for what, whether it's the objective for the, the unit or like the focus of the class. But if it feels discon- kind of disjointed, that's not going to do me any good.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I think that brings up another great point, which is being very explicit about these connections. So intuitively, as a person who's trying to create all these things and put them together, in your own mind, it probably makes sense to you because this is what you do and this is what you know. For people that are just coming into a subject area or, you know, maybe they're just taking their, your class because they have to, not because they're really all that interested, right? They're not going to have the same framework with which to approach the material. So you have to make, make sure you're scaffolding that properly um, and giving them the context and being explicit about where these things connect.
0: Yeah. It, that makes, it makes so much sense. One thing you mentioned earlier on was the, this idea of incremental, right? It's okay to take uh, small steps. And I think, I think you even said it was preferred, right? Like we don't want to jump wholehearted into some new thing that we just totally don't know or understand, or we don't even know if it's going to work. It seems like in the times like now where there's lots of upheaval and class, you know, the, the whole educational approach has this opportunity before like things are kind of different than they've ever been. Um, what do you feel like the role for innovation, whether on the tech side or just on the education side? Is there, are there opportunities there? Do you think?
1: Absolutely. Um, I, I kind of f- personally feel like the silver lining in all of this is that as, as frustrating and as, uh, I guess, tiresome as this becomes to always be in the middle of change, um, I have to admit that just because as a person, I mean, that's it's affecting everybody, I think. And, and it's definitely affecting people in different ways. But the silver lining would be that the pandemic has really forced us to change the way we were doing things better, worse or otherwise. Right. And for some people, at least during the, uh, what I would call the emergency mode response, which would be back in the prior semester toward the end of last school year, it it changed how we were doing what we were doing. But I think the real opportunity is in investigating the what and the why of what we're doing moving forward from here. I mean, like I alluded to earlier, if we start thinking about like, you you know, I, I would have people that you know, say, well, they need to watch these 15 videos or they need to know these 25 vocabulary words. Do they really, I mean, this is a time where we can sit and we can question, um, you know, and we don't have to question everything. Right. Again, like you said, and and like I mentioned earlier, you don't have to fix everything. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Nobody's asking for that, but just give some thought to some key points. It could make your life a lot simpler. So that, that I think would be the silver lining. Um, You know, like one of the things that I think is really cool that I've seen uh, where I work, um, I've worked with faculty who would never have thought to invite external guests into their classrooms. Um, Not in the same way, right? But Zoom in some way or a video conferencing tool um, in some way makes that a little bit easier to facilitate. I'm not sure what the security or anything is like in a K-12 environment uh, these days, but I do know that it is possible to invite outside people to come in and enrich the educational experience of your students. So this might be an opportunity for you to consider something like that. It's not like, you know, for most of the world, people are still kind of at home. So it's not, like you know I mean, it's not like people are too busy to do this. I, I found myself pleasantly surprised last semester. Um, I actually asked a former uh, state representative to join a class that I had. Um, and they were gracious enough to accept. I mean, I was really, I was really shocked because I had no prior relationship with this person, did not know them, just sent them an email and said, Hey, we're learning about such and such. Would you mind joining us? Um, and they did. And it was awesome. So, you know, opportunities like that crop up all the time. And I think we would be, uh, it, we really should take advantage of those as we can.
0: Yeah, no, I, I well, that's what a great idea, right? Cause I, I remember, uh, when I was in grad school, I was at Indiana University and we had every Friday, we had a guest come in and of course it was all face-to-face, right? But I, those were some of my like memorable moments of seeing people that were in the industry or in, you know, in the perf- the field of study. And, it, you know, you just felt like, wow, these are real people doing real things. And I mean, even the, the fact that we can connect so easily for mm-hmm. this opportunity, I think is, is, uh, is just amazing. And, um, I've had the privilege of being a guest at, at in a university class at at Purdue and their education technology program, just talk about what it's like to be an instructional designer out in the real world. And um, you know, I always get nice feedback from the students because it's you're right. Like it's the not only their expertise, but the the different perspective because I think it's sometimes easy to look at the experts inside the university and be like, ah, what do you know? You've been you've been teaching this for yeah. Thirty years.
1: I've been in the classroom in, in 20, 30 years. What do you know? Yes, I, I understand.
0: <laughs> right. So we've talked a little bit about the kind of the the innovation. One of the things that um, when we've talked previously, you, you you talked about like resilience teaching, right? And, and maybe we've kind of already talked around this idea, but I I, I would really like to to try to understand this because obviously, right now it's it's a high point of like you need to be resilient, but I'm I'm guessing it happens even kind of all times right like as an educator things are always evolving things are changing things are, uh, never going to be static in the classroom in terms of, I mean, unless you get really lucky or something, you have to feel it's, we, we, the body of knowledge has never changed in 30 years. Uh, Well, that might be a little bit boring, but there
1: are a few of those, there are a few of those, but yes.
0: (laughs) So, so tell us a little bit about your kind of understanding what, when we talked before the show, when you talked about resilience, uh, education, what, what, what is it that you were thinking about?
1: So for me, I know I kind of feel like this term since we've last spoken has been really um, worn out in many respects. But I guess that's another um, just evidence of everyone being tired of all the change. Um, I I think, you know, just being resilient as a person and as an educator just requires you, at least in the context of education, to help facilitate learning experiences that are going to be adaptable to fluctuating conditions. I'd like to think that that's what most educators are doing anyway, um. Obviously, the scale of the fluctuating conditions and disruptions are very different now than they are in a typical uh, year of school. Um, but I also I also feel for people because I, I think there are a lot of my educator friends would find themselves in this boat where um, people are interpreting this as kind of do your own thing and they're not getting a whole lot of support. Um, and I, I really hope that that's not a case. I, I, I know that the educational community is, at least, again, in my experience, has always been chock full of people who can assist or who are willing to help or willing to be additional support for those whom they may not even know, but they might teach a similar subject area. Right. Um, And if it were, if the work of change, the work of change is frustrating, um, admittedly, if it were something that was so easy, we wouldn't even be having this discussion right now. So um, just training yourself as a person to be open to change and realizing that we are all students included, and I'm not going to use the cliche phrase of we're all in this together, which I do believe is true, but everybody is kind of a work in progress in this way, right? Like um, through life over time, I've become more receptive to change. Am I perfect? Do I still get frustrated? Absolutely. Um, you know, I I find that that's probably the case for most people. Um, But letting letting go of any resistance to change is going to help you adapt um, immensely to this type of situation. Again, you don't have to let go of everything that that you've clung to for the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. uh, But you just need to be able to 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 be willing enough to rethink some things. Right. It doesn't have to be the way that it's always been in order for it to be good teaching or for it to be effective. I guess that's that's really what I would say about it. It's tough.
0: yeah, well, absolutely. And, I'm, and I guess the question is, if someone's out there saying, I would love to be that, I'd love to be open to that, how do I, do you have advice of how to start? And that if you're not feeling that kind of openness to change, if you're feeling just completely overwhelmed, I mean, maybe we need a psychologist to tell us these <laughs> things, right? But, uh, like, but I imagine there's a lot of teachers and I, I would imagine, especially at K-12 level, where it seems yeah. like universities may be a little bit better equipped for the the adaptation because there's more infrastructure, you know, thing, ability yeah. to maybe make those adjustments. Whereas on K-12 side of things, it might just feel like I, I would love to be open to change. I just don't even know where to start. Uh, yeah. and I, if you don't have any advice, that's fine because I totally, under- that's a huge, massive question.
1: Yeah. Well, the one thing I can say is I did work in K twelve in a district that was not particularly uh, well resourced. Um, Have have a lot of um, I guess I, I don't know what the right term is these days, but at risk students. Right. So I've worked in a, in a very diverse environment and outside of where I am right now. And, and I understand the challenges that come along with that. I mean, you might be dealing with students who they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Keeping them at home during a pandemic is putting them in greater danger, perhaps, than they would be if they were at school. Like, so you're dealing with all of these um, psychological, social, all kinds of issues not of your own necessarily, but that come to you by way of your students. And so that makes it an especially difficult challenge. I think what I would suggest to people who are finding themselves in a situation of either they, if you don't want to change, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm going to say today. That's going to convince you to do anything differently. Right. Um, But I mean, again, start small pick something small, something small that you think can make a difference. That's where I would start. If you're a person who wants to do something different, but you just don't know where to start because it's also very overwhelming, um, you know, try to find out what resources are in your district. If you don't have resources in your district or your university that you think are sufficient, Um, There are plenty of forums and communities for K-12 and higher ed. Um, Educause is a good group. LinkedIn has several groups for instructional design and for teaching and learning in higher ed. So many resources online. If you're sick of online and you want to talk to a person, I mean, you're welcome to email me. I'm happy to talk to you about anything that you've got going on. I can share my email or, you know, we can have Matt share it, but it's, it's totally something
0: that I'm open to talking to anybody about. Yeah, well, that's very generous of you. Thank you. Because I, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I do think people, uh, and and my my wife works in a school. She's not a teacher, but she's an aide, and she works with these fabulous teachers. And I think they're all just so like, uh, you know, it's like hard to know. But I yeah. love keep it small. And I want to shift gears just a little bit here. We've been talking about I think a lot of good things. Uh, can we talk technology for a minute? Because I know that's another thing you're you're in. uh, It's you know you mentioned Zoom, and you're very familiar with Zoom. Are there things like as someone who's, you know, working with fa- faculty members and you've, you've teaching yourself, are there technologies that you like to your colleagues? You're like, I recommend Th- these are really great things to like you should uh, you should understand how to use Zoom, for instance, like or what yeah. are other tools?
1: Oh, so Zoom is a good one. The LMS, whatever the LMS is, if you have one, uh, get to know that you don't. And that could be a beast. I know we've had several <laughs> people that prior to this event. We've had an LMS at the university for a long time, and they haven't been users of it, but then by nature of all the things happening, they were forced into it. Um, Again, that's another thing where you don't have to learn the whole big thing at once. Just learn the pieces that make sense and sort of move it forward. Um, As far as tech goes, um, I have to say this because I'm on the call with TechSmith. Matt did not tell me to say this, but (laughs) I love Camtasia. Um, And and, uh, I I realize that not everyone... Um, you know, it has that at their disposal necessarily, but it's pretty reasonably priced and, uh, I do enjoy using it. I use it for walkthroughs and tutorials and things like that. Um, outside of zoom, uh, and you know, just any sort of video conferencing software I'm trying to think about like we use, we're a Google campus, so we use a lot of Google, Um, for collaboration, I know Microsoft office, if you're talking about like office 365, you can also do collaborative documents there. Um, if you're thinking about strategies to engage your students in collaboration, that's just one option. Um, you know, having them collaborate through an activity on a Google document, um. Again, I realize this requires internet access, and if you're dealing with people who have um, internet issues or bandwidth issues, that sometimes this can be problematic. So I, I understand that those are challenges that are faced um, by folks in the educational community as well. So I appreciate that.
0: Um, so what's yeah. really interesting that you said so far, and I think this is important to remember is, I mean, with some exceptions, the tools that you mentioned are probably at your disposal, right? If you probably have access to the Google suite of tools, you can use Mm -hmm. presentation slides and, uh, the, the equivalent of word, you know, you like you didn't say anything that's like so far out of there. And even, even with Camtasia, which, you know, if you don't have Camtasia, there's so many other options like Snagit can do screen recording or, you know, there's the free capture tool that used to be Jing from TechSmith or like for very little money or no money, like you can have all these tools. It's interesting. You didn't say like some fancy system that you'd have to go out and invest thousands of dollars in. It's things that you probably have at your disposal yeah. already
1: you don't, you don't really need to, you don't really need to invest a ton of money to make it work and work effectively. Um, I, I firmly believe that, um, one of the other things that I will mention, cause a lot of people are very interested in polling as it turns out. Hmm. So, um, there are a couple of tools I know when I was in K 12, I use, uh, men, I don't know if it's pronounced Mentimeter. I've used that. I know people in K 12 are largely into Kahoot. Or, um, you know, Poll Everywhere is another polling software that is free for up to 40 respondents for an educator license that doesn't cost you anything um, money-wise. So, I mean, there are, there are tools out there if you're interested um, in exploring some of those as opportunities. Now, technology, as with anything, all technology tools have limitations. They're not perfect. Um, so it's, it's just, you know, being aware of that and not trying to be surprised when you're trying to execute on a plan and then realize, oh, I can't do X. Um, is really the key there. Yes. Yes. Technology is a tool. It should not be the driver ever. And we love technology. I love technology, but it should be a tool. It's not like I have a hammer and everything looks like a nail sort of thing. That's not what we're trying to do here.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like that's, uh, I mean, just talking with people and even, even cause I'm, you know, I work for a software company, right? Like it's so easy to fall in that routine of saying, we've got to use this, we've got to do this. And it's, it's the, like, it is the hammer that's going to do everything. And a hammer can never be Solve a saw. all
1: problems. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's 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 good to know that, like, I, I think if, as educators out there should be keeping their minds open to, like, hey, you don't need every tool either, right? Like, that's probably the other end of the spectrum. You don't need to try yeah. to do everything.
1: Yeah. You don't need to do everything. Keep it simple. Pick one or two things, maybe a handful of things if you're comfortable with it. Figure out what's going to work for you and just go with it. There's no there's no rubric or any sort of assessment item that says you have to use 12 tech tools in the course of teaching your class. Like you don't need that. So, you know, pick, pick, pick the simple things.
0: Can you um, imagine that rubric though? Oh man. No. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've talked about the resilience. We've talked a little bit about buildings up. We've talked about innovation. We've talked, we've covered a lot of ground today, Crystal. One of the areas we've, we've talked mostly from a faculty standpoint, like, Edu- as educators. But on the other side of this is the learner, the students, whatever, we, whatever t- term you want to call them, there's people that have to be on the receiving end. And I know you, you teach some classes. What advice do you have for, for the students? And maybe even we can frame it a little bit differently instead of, cause I don't know how many students are watching this or will watch it, but like thinking about it from a, terms of advice for the students, but that you'd give to the educators that are going to be teaching. Like let's say I'm a, I'm going to teach a class and you can give me advice that I could then pass on to, to my students.
1: Yeah. So, and I know that, again, some of this may not be a blanket application, um, but for students, you know, recognizing, because I don't know if many of them do, particularly in K-12, I know we all see it and feel it, like Zoom fatigue or video conference fatigue is a real thing. It's actually been studied. It's It's got to do with requiring more cognitive load resources from you to process all of the things than maybe in-person face-to-face does um, and, and so we, we, we know that and it's okay to take a break. It's okay to take a break from the screen. That's what I'd really encourage students to do. Um, I know that's tougher, maybe with yeah, I don't want to say younger folks because then that puts me in a certain age group. But um, it definitely <laughs> it definitely is important for all of us to take a break from the screen now and again. Um, and then for students as well, you know, internet connection problems happen. I told you before we got on this call, this happened today. Our entire network at the university is down. Um, people are freaking out. Communication is important though. It was really great that I had students send me a message or let me know how things were going, you know, and I check in with them regularly with my students and say, Hey, look, you know, how are you doing? Like, so students should be able to, to try to communicate. I realize again, tougher for some of the younger elementary grades. So I want to be sensitive to that. Um, but if students are able to advocate for themselves and what they need in a respectful way, I definitely uh, recommend that. Um, But establishing a schedule, this is as great time as any to learn time management skills. (laughs) Um, Establish a schedule. I know this is harder on parents, too, for those who are staying home. Um, If you can do it, if you have the the means to do so, just have a dedicated space that you're using for e-learning. It doesn't have to be um, a fancy office. It doesn't have to be anything really that special. But if you can say, okay, this is the space where I work. I think that's going to do a lot for you in terms of separating that part of your life from the rest. And I'm not suggesting some weird um, psycho like compartmentalization here. I'm just saying, like, if you can separate and keep boundaries, that'll help you be a more sort of, it'll be really good, I think, for well being, in other words. And that's really the advice that I would give to students and everyone in this environment is you know, you have to engage in some positive stress management techniques and take care of your own mental, physical, emotional intellectual spiritual well-being whatever it is because if you can't do that it's going to be really hard to perform at your best and again easier said than done i'm not hypocritical here i'm a human being so i struggle with these same things but um one of the one of the mottos i'm trying to um remember so it's the, one of the unofficial mottos that we have in the department where i work is take care of yourself so you can take care of your loved ones take care of your loved ones so you can take care of work And take care of work, so you can take care of yourself and your loved ones. And forgetting any one of those doesn't help us be better at the others. So love it. That's really the advice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you know, I I know, like everyone else, it's been a shift to to come work from home, and I've you know got my kids at home, and my wife's been home until now. The school year started again, and it's it's been really interesting. Like I feel like I've become much better at taking like a break now and then. And I actually yeah. take my lunches <laughs> instead of like, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to keep working on this one thing. And so I, I love that advice. And it's, I mean, I've heard it before, but I think it's so important that we keep reiterating and especially for students. Cause I know there's times when I've checked on my, my kids that, are, especially the ones that's just started college. I was like, dude, take a break. It's okay. You don't have to keep going nonstop. So I, and I just, I love, I love those things that you've said, because I think, I feel like they're, they ring really true and it's great advice for all of us and not just mm-hmm. students. But my guess is, uh, students aren't necessarily hearing it right. Adults, yeah. you know, I, I mean, and I mean adults by not in school, uh, age yes. wise, uh, we probably, we probably hear it more, maybe a little bit more often if hopefully, hopefully you're hearing it. If not, <laughs> take yeah. advantage of it. But it get feels like it it's <laughs> right. So, so, yeah. So I just feel like uh, it's, it's spot on for what, what I'm thinking. Yeah. Be, be kind to
1: yourself. Really. I mean, that's, I don't know. And, and try not to get bent out of shape when things go wrong. Because you know what? Technology is great when it works. But we all know. And, and it's most of the time we don't even notice that it's all around us. But when it's broken, the world is about to end. That's kind of how it feels. Um, and, and I think um, working on the support side of some of this uh, currently, um, I see that people have been very gracious and and very kind and understanding. But it still doesn't diminish the frustration um, that people are experiencing. But but don't let this. If you experience a setback with technology, please don't let that deter you from trying something new. Uh, again, I know easier said than done, but um, you know if you're, it's just you just can't give up. You just can't, that's really, that's really it.
0: I feel like one of the fears out there and, you know, I'm not i I'm not a school teacher. I don't teach university, but I imagine one of the fears is just, it's not going to work. And then what, then what, right? Like, Oh no, we've lost time. Is that a legitimate fear or like, do you think that's like, if something doesn't work, like your tech doesn't work or your, the way you structured something didn't work as well as you want. Is that like, is that a big problem or is that like you just kind of move on? And it'll be okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is happening. I, I know um, I actually recently saw a ticket come through our our service queue where it was a person that basically every time they start a class, they're struggling with the technology in the classroom that they were using. And it was taking like 20 minutes for them to start up every time. So I think for instances like that, um, yes, it's, it's a, it's a real thing, but Um, You know, we have a bit of a complicated setup where we are, and and it's a bit of a learning curve for people to understand how to operate it, but I kind of feel like we have enough support in place to hopefully mitigate that situation. Um, You know, if you lose time, like this happened to me today, as a matter of fact, because our campus network is down, which I mentioned, Um, I had students that were joining our our call, our virtual session, and they like every, I don't know, three minutes, half of them would disappear. It's really difficult to do small group discussion or breakout rooms or any sort of discussion-based class activity um, in that situation, and at some point, I just had to say, you know what, guys uh, and ladies, uh, we'll reconvene. Like, enjoy your fifteen or thirty-minute break from Zoom that I'm now giving you. So I had to just, I had to just throw on the towel this morning. So, uh, as much as none of us want to do that because we feel very pressured to get from one point in the curriculum to another, or from one pe- one place to another, I think this brings up a really good point about having a contingency plan. Uh, it's not a matter of If technology will fail, at some point, it's likely that you're going to encounter problems. Make sure that you have a backup plan for how you're going to manage that and communicate that to your students so that they know. I had students that spent the better part of 15 or 20 minutes today just trying to log into Zoom, and I don't really want to have that cascaded frustration to them Um, for that reason, you know, and they they were all freaking out and paranoid because I have a lot of perfectionist students as well about like, they're going to fail or they're going to lose credit or all the things. So just communicating about that, I think is really critical. Um, You know, yeah. So I lost, I lost half of a class today. Um, I'm not going to let that, I'm going to make the choice to not let that ruin the rest of my semester. So I think that's what people have to try to do is to make the conscious decision again, to decide what's important what can be left out. If something goes wrong, you deal with it and just move forward.
0: Yeah. It feels like just having, having a good understanding of what is essential and then the extra stuff and that your, your plan has Mm -hmm. that buffer room. Cause there's all, you're right. There's always challenges, whether it's technology or you, you know, you have a flat tire and you can't make it to like, who knows what's going to go wrong, but things are going to go wrong. Yep. Yeah. Murphy's well, law, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, and yeah, I'm knocking on wood that, you know, <laughs> things, things won't go too wrong. <laughs> so, well, Crystal, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been fantastic. So many great pieces of advice, so much like, you know, just wisdom things. I know there's a couple things I, I'm definitely going to take with me to think about, uh, even pass on to my, my, my wife and the teachers that she works with because it's such good stuff. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you. Really enjoyed having being here.